This morning we are in Jonah. Fish food. Jonah and his story, no doubt for many of you, is probably uh, very familiar. For many Christians, the story of Jonah is one they've heard from the time they were a child on their parents' knee. Um, it's the story has been one that has been easy to teach. Um, it's one that has a very clear lesson. But I think that sometimes we can become so common, uh, a story can become so common to us that we might be able to lose uh, some of the beauty in it. Uh, because of our familiarity with it, we may not uh, really give it the credit that it deserves. And, and for these next few weeks, I want us to look at the life of Jonah. I want us to look at the mission of Jonah that God sends him on. And I want us to be able to look at the failures of Jonah. Ultimately, whenever we open up the Scriptures and we start reading and studying the Scriptures, it's always important that we try to find ourselves in them, in the Scriptures. We need to be able to look at the story of Jonah and to look at those failures and try to grow from those failures. It's a lot better to learn from the mistakes of others than to learn from our own mistakes. No doubt the story of Jonah is one of man's reluctance, but even beyond that, even beyond me talking about Jonah's reluctance, even me beyond talking about Jonah's disobedience, I believe the overwhelming theme of Jonah is this, not that one man disobeyed, but to me the overwhelming theme of the story of Jonah is God's faithful love and sovereignty. To me, that is the theme, that is what binds these pages together. And aren't you glad that even though you and I may fail, even though you and I may be reluctant at the call of God, even though you and I may be faithless at times, aren't you glad to know that God is still faithful? I am so encouraged by that promise that even when we are faithless, He yet remains faithful. Some have uh, said that the story of Jonah is not a real story at all. It was not a real event, not a real person, but rather kind of an allegory. I disagree with that because in the New Testament, Jesus, not, not just taking Jonah's word for it in, in the book that is ascribed to him, but even Jesus used Jonah's, illustri- Jonah's story for two very important purposes. One was, Jesus used in Matthew chapter 12, the story of Jonah going to the Ninevites eventually and preaching against them and seeing that the Ninevites repented. Jesus actually used that encounter or that that story, that recounting of Jonah's preaching to to, uh, reveal the hard-heartedness of the Jewish leaders, of the Jewish nation, to be able to say to them, when Jonah went and preached to the Ninevites, they repented, and the Ninevites are going to rise in judgment against you. Jesus also used the story of Jonah for one of our favorite stories of all. Jesus said, For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man shall be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus believed that it was a true story. I have no reason to doubt if Jesus believed it, the Bible gives evidence of it, then there is no reason for me to, to doubt that God used a real man who was very reluctant and exercised his sovereignty and his faithful love and worked despite a reluctant prophet, all for the purpose 
of His name. I want you to look with me in Jonah chapter 1. It says in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship to the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you from? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Keep following with me. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because Jonah had told them. Then they said to them, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This morning, the outline is easy. And when I say the outline is easy, some pastors would call this easy preaching. But I believe the outline is not just easy because of how simple the story is. I believe this outline is easy because if we're going to be honest this morning, I would imagine that this outline may also follow many of your and my spiritual timeline. 
You see, for many people, one of the reasons why the story of Jonah is so dear to us is not just because of God's faithful love, not, not just because we were, we've heard it since we were children, but I believe that one of the reasons why the story of Jonah is so dear to so many of us is because we can relate to it so well. It's the same reason. It's the same reason why many of you cling to the story of the prodigal son. It's the same reason why that's one of my favorite verses is because I can relate. I can associate with the story of this reluctant prophet. You see, this morning, this story, this outline is not just taken from chapter 1. This outline is taken from my life. And if the truth be told, probably some of you may be able to see this not just as an outline taken exegetically from the Scriptures, but you may see portions of this being snapshots taken out of your own lives. I want you to notice something in chapter 1. I want you to notice in the very beginning, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. We know very little about Jonah. One of the few things we do know about Jonah outside of the book of Jonah is in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, the Bible gives us another reference of Jonah. Now, granted, it's an obscure reference. There's not a lot of ink given. In fact, it's one verse that describes him. But it describes where he's from. And the region that Jonah is from is from a very remote corner of God's country. It's from a very remote corner. It's not Jerusalem. It's not one of the well-known cities. It's not one of the great historical cities in Scripture. In fact, it's not a location in where many other great prophets have come from. We have God choosing... A man whom very little is known about. And beyond that, he comes from one of the remote corners of the country. He's not chosen from Jerusalem. He's not chosen from necessarily a great lineage. He is chosen by God's own sovereignty. Aren't you glad that God can and still uses those whom He chooses to use? Aren't you glad to know that, that God can still use whatever He chooses to use for His own purpose and for His own glory. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what strengths or what weaknesses you have. It, it doesn't matter what you bring to the table. What Christ wants still today is willingness. He's not concerned with how much we know. I believe He's not concerned with how much we can do because He's the one who gives knowledge and strength. He's the one who gifts with abilities. And if He's the one that gives them all He wants is a willing, available vessel for himself. If you notice in verse 2, the command comes from God. And this is the first point this morning. There was a very clear commandment from the Lord. A very clear commandment from the Lord. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh, about 500 miles to the east and a little to the north of where Jonah was. A city that was immense in its size. It is believed to be anywhere from 48 to 65 miles long. Think about that as a city. A city that is believed to be 48 to 65 miles 
long. This was a huge city. The population was estimated to be around 2 million people. Now for that time, that was a huge metropolis. Spread out, vast. It was said to be beautiful and have incredibly large walls that went around as a perimeter. But not only was the size of the city huge in its scope of landmass and its footprint, not only was it large in the scope of its population, but God says something. God says, by my estimation, they are not just large in size, they are not just large in how many people they have. God says they're large in their wickedness. Their wickedness has come up to me, meaning it's in my nostrils. Their wickedness is so great that God says, I have noticed and I'm going to do something about it. What a great God we serve. What an awesome God we serve. Nineveh, whose wickedness was great. God does not send destruction. He sends a prophet. This city, ultimately, for God to say it is so wicked, its wickedness is great, its sin is abounding, its sin is festering, its sin is overflowing, that it is, it is just growing in iniquity. And rather than wiping it off the face of the earth, instead of making it a 48 to 65 foot hole in the ground, God sends a prophet. God says, God, motivated by mercy and love, now employs one of His own people to go for the first time in Scripture to a pagan land and tell them to repent of their sins in the name of Jehovah God. What an awesome God we serve. Even Sodom and Gomorrah, known for their great wickedness, before God destroyed them, he even listened and entertained the prayer of petition of Abraham. And even saw fit that they would extract Abraham's nephew Lot. You see, we serve and worship a God that does not delight in destroying. We serve a God and worship a God who does not delight in death, but is the author of life, wants all men to come to Him, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And here is this great, notably wicked city. Huge. Great city with great sin. And rather than having a great consequence, God provides for them a great opportunity for forgiveness. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That's the command. One verse, few words, very clear, no way to mistake what God is saying. This is who I want. This is what I want you to do. And this is where I want you to go. You see, I put on your notes that it's a clear command. But let me remind you, every one of God's commands are clear. He's always made it simple for us. If you think about it, in the Old Testament, there wasn't a problem of people not knowing what God wanted them to do. The problem was that they knew what God wanted them to do, and they didn't want to do it. God has always made His Word, His commands, has always made His, His purpose clear to us. You know why? Because He knows us. He knows that we're like sheep. You remember us talking about sheep? 
Are sheep the smartest animals on the farm? No, they're not. Arise, go to that city, Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. First was that God or Jonah had received a clear commandment from the Lord. Now we get into the dirty. Now we get into the nasty. Look at verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Clear command. Jonah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. It is a great city. It is great in its wickedness. It has come up before me. And Jonah, I want you to go there, and I want you to preach repentance to them. I want you to make this 500-mile trek over to this other city and preach repentance to them. What does Jonah do? We know what he didn't do. He arose. He got the first part right. And he arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. little geography. Nineveh is east. Joppa and Tarshish is west. In fact, one commentator I read said that Tarshish is more than likely modern-day Spain. Now think about this for a minute. If that's true, and Tarshish is actually our modern-day Spain, do you know what Jonah was doing? God called him and said, Jonah, I want you to go 500 miles to the east to Nineveh and preach repentance to them. 500 miles to the east. What does Jonah do? I'm not going to do it. He gets up. He's going 2,000 miles to the west. He could go 500 miles to the east in obedience, doing what God called him to do. Or he could go 2,000 miles to the west. Four times greater in disobedience than to simply walk in obedience. Now how do we take this off of the page and put it in our life? Do you remember me telling you that this is not just a text, an outline taken from the story of Jonah? It's an outline taken from my life. I was 18 years old. Saved when I was 12. 18 years old, I was riding around in the car. You could call it, you could, it was riding around in my car. I was getting ready to go to our company Christmas party. I was riding in the car with an atheist and a preacher's kid who was angry at God. There's me, an atheist, and a preacher's kid who's angry at God. And wouldn't you know it, in that car, or in that truck, as we're going to the Christmas party, someone in that car, not me, brought up heaven and hell. Now isn't that an odd conversation for an atheist and a preacher's kid who's angry at God? They bring up the, the, the topic of heaven and hell. 
And as they're talking about heaven and hell and they're carrying on this discussion, I'm overhearing it. And the whole time, I don't even remember what they were talking about. I don't remember the conversation that they were having. It could have been Charlie Brown's teacher for all I cared. What was going on in here was God communicating to me that my life was not right with Him. And I believe that God used in His sovereignty an atheist and a preacher's kid who was angry at God to communicate with my heart and bring me to that place. But here's the thing. Even though I knew my life was not right with God and I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, even though I was saved, and even though I knew what it meant to repent and give my life over to Christ, you know what? I fought that decision for weeks would have been a 500 mile journey to just give up right there it would have been so much easier for me to just say god i got your message loud and clear and i understand god that my decisions are not honoring you my life's not honoring you you have ransomed me and i'm not living for you god i know you've got a great plan for me i've heard it all my life and god i know i'm not living for you and right now today i want to do that and i would love to tell you that's what i did that moment in that car but it's not I battled it for weeks. Found myself unable to sleep. Falling asleep at crazy places. I never wanted to get to the place where my mind could just, where I had silence. Because when there was silence, God was communicating to my heart. I always tried to be distracted reading something, not the Bible, but reading something. Listening to music, watching TV, doing something so that I wouldn't hear that still small voice. Three weeks went by. And finally, I walked into my mom's room and had shared what God was doing on my heart. And I remember she said, Jamie, I know God's got something for you. And I got up from her from that room and I walked into my bedroom and I laid down on the floor. I remember today and I said, God, I'm sorry. God, I want the life that you have for me. And I repented right there and rededicated my life to the Lord. And you know what? It would have been so much easier for me to have surrendered right then and go that 500 mile distance but i chose to take a much more difficult road emotional trauma difficulty i was just i was a wreck those three weeks you know do you think it's true that sometimes we will work harder to stay out of the will of god then we will to simply accept the will of God. Do you think that's true? That sometimes we will work harder to stay out of the will of God? To stay a safe distance away? You see the crazy thing? I think Jonah's theology was all off. He did know that God was a forgiving God. We'll get into that reason later in our series. He knew why God wanted him to go and he knew what God was going to do. He knew what God was capable of doing. In one sense, he knew God very well. But I believe when it says that he went to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord, I believe that he felt that there was a place he could hide from God. I believe, I believe this. I believe that Jonah felt that once he got outside of the borders of the promised land, that the voice might stop. That the conviction might end. And even though he knew God was merciful and forgiving, long-suffering and slow to anger, 
Even though he knew that one great trait of the character of God, I believe he failed when he forgot there is nowhere in the world you can go to hide from God. I believe he forgot Psalm 139. If I take the wings of the morning and fly into the air, behold, you are there. If I take my bed in the grave, Behold, you are there. Darkness is as light to you. David went on to say, there's nowhere in all of the world, there's no place that is a refuge from God's ability to be there. Nowhere you can go. You cannot outrun God. Jonah received a clear commandment from God. Jonah also rebelled against the commandment. Now, you guys know the story. I read it to you. Jonah rebels, and then God does something. God causes a storm. Well, let me, let me just say this before I get into this third and really important point. Jonah did not leave his place in running away from God to go kill somebody. When Jonah got on the ship at Joppa to go to Tarshish, he wasn't going there for an idol worship conference. He wasn't going there to engage in some great moral sexual act, immoral sexual activity. He wasn't going there to turn people's hearts away from the Lord. And when, I, when we look at this, I want you to remember the fact that Jonah rebelled against the clear commandment of God the fact that Jonah did not say yes to God's command was sin enough. You see, we might think in our life, well, God, I'm not out there killing anybody. God, I'm not out there cheating on my spouse. Or God, I'm not out there stealing and robbing from people. But I believe if we saw sin the way God sees sin, we would realize there's no difference between a sin of commission and a sin of omission, I believe we would realize that all sin disgusts God. In fact, I might argue this, that the sin of omission, in my opinion, is a lot greater sin than the sins of commission. You see, God can still make beauty come from our ashes. But when we don't do something, oh, that has serious consequences. If we don't share our faith, that means someone else didn't get to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If I don't do what God says, then something's not getting done in the way that He would want it to be done. I believe our sins of omission, not doing what we're supposed to do, can be costlier at times than doing things that we should not be doing. Notice this third point. Jonah's decision had consequences. How many of you like marking your Bibles? Okay, take that hand that you just raised and put your pen or your marker. If you don't have anything to write with, just prick your finger and put a little line of blood on verse 4. Now this is, this is in my Bible, but maybe you might like these words also. The first three words of verse 4. But the Lord. but the Lord. I've been in the ministry almost 15 years. 
Not near as many as some. And I've had the privilege of listening to many testimonies. Two of them I got to listen to this morning. And one of the things that I have found throughout listening to people's testimonies is the recurrence of those three words in their testimony. Yeah, pastor, I saved. Age 17. Went off to college. Really didn't care about God. Didn't get involved in the church. and Started partying and got wrapped up with some people that I shouldn't have been doing. And pastor, I was just going, doing my own thing. Wasn't concerned with spiritual things. But the Lord brought someone into my life. Yeah, pastor, I was out. I had been to church as a kid. And, and I always said we'd get back into church when we had kids and then we had kids and they started growing up pastor we just never made it a priority and here i was doing my own thing living my own life but the lord sent my neighbor over to me and shared the gospel or or prayed with me or but the lord used one of my family members to come over and and to encourage me to get back right with the lord but the lord allowed me to see that billy graham special on tv and god convicted my heart the wonderful thing about those three words is that they are so beautiful because they represent a point in time where God says you may be running but I'm doing something that's going to turn you around those three words but the Lord have accompanied many testimonies that I've heard where people are taking a shift it marks a point in time on their spiritual timeline where God grabbed a hold of them somehow with something with someone and turned them and said, I love you too much to let you keep going down that road. I mark those three words in my Bible and I hope that I have marked those three words on my heart because they represent a God who loves us. But the Lord, what did He do? He sent a strong wind. Warren Wiersbe says there are two types of storms God uses. Storms of correction and storms of direction. I think Jonah may have gotten both. In the boat, sleeping, going the wrong way. Headed the wrong direction. Walking in willful rebellion. Walking in disobedience flat out to God. Clear command heard. Clear command rejected. You know, before I move on to this final thing, let me ask you a quick question. Can you imagine, look at this story for a moment from God's perspective. Possibly two million people in this city that deserve destruction, but God gives pardon to, is willing to give pardon to. And He comes to one of, He grabs this gentleman out of the corner of the, of the country and says, Jonah, son of Amittai, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them. Preach repentance. And rather than his prophet saying, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. 
That prophet runs, flees, flees from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't want to be there. He wants to put as much distance between he and God as possible. And once again, a man that we could argue might deserve strict and swift punishment. God sends a storm. I don't know about you, but oftentimes the storms in our life are painful. They can leave scars. We can get wounds from our storms. But praise God, if that storm that has come in our life that has caused us wounds, has given us scars, we can still come to the point where we can praise God for the three words, but the Lord, because that storm, even though it may have cost us something and had consequences in our life, the good thing is God used that storm to get our attention and to bring us to the place where we would be back on track with Him. Which leads us to that third point. Jonah's decision had consequences. I need to remember it. And maybe you need to remember it too. But disobedience always brings consequences. Disobeying God always has consequences. And the consequences are always bad. God is always calling us to Himself. Not just because we need to be there, but it's good for us to be there. It is always good to be in the will of God. I remember I was reading, a, I, was reading a, I can't even remember who it was right now, but he was preaching at a, at a youth conference. And at the conclusion of the service, he gave an altar call for students to come forward. And this young man had come forward and he, he talked to the speaker and he said, I'm afraid of being in the will of God. I'm afraid of, of doing what God told me to do. And the speaker with, a, with, a, with a, a point of divination almost, that God would just reveal it to him, that, that speaker looked down at that young man and said, it's not scary being in the will of God. What is scary is being out of the will of God. Because it has consequences. God loves us and loves us too much to continue to live a life that dishonors Him. And I believe He can do whatever He wants to do in order to receive glory from our life and beauty from our ashes. Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lay down and was fast asleep. Jonah had an opportunity to witness to those God fears, but it seems that God got the job done despite Jonah's ability to witness to them. God showed Himself faithful even to those pagans who were on that boat. Let me show you the last thing. Clear command. Clear rebellion. Consequences. He decides, I'd rather die than turn around. Throw me over. They throw him over. And the fourth and final point is that God had made a provision for Jonah. You see, there are two things, guys. Two things God provided for Jonah so far in the story. One was a storm. The storm got Jonah in the water. And once he was in the water, God's second provision took over. The whale. In our life, we may say, God, I don't understand what's going on. 
God, I don't know why these things are happening. And even though we might not be able to understand all of why things happen or why God uh, makes things happen or allows things to happen, however you choose to look at that, what I can know is that He's always, always using all things. He works all things together for the good to those who love Him. And here this man didn't even show Him any love. And yet God was using this storm very difficult time, a very scary time that affected other people. And God is using that storm to bring Jonah back to Himself. See, when you're going through life, and you're feeling like you're getting knocked around, Remember, that's exactly the way the clay feels in the hands of the potter. When it feels like it's getting beat up and pressed, that's exactly what the clay feels like. When you start feeling like everything's spinning around and everything's going and you don't even know what's going on, it seems like everything's moving so fast. Remember, that same clay pot that had been beaten and formed and struck and pressed, remember that that was to get all of the bubbles out so there would not be any impurities. And remember that the very next step is that potter then throws it on the wheel to make it into the vessel that he chooses. Oh, it's hot. God's turned up the temperature on me. Remember, God does that to strengthen us. You see, Jonah received a clear command, walked in clear rebellion, had to pay some consequences as many of us have for our disobedience, our wayfaring, our wandering, if you will. But the good news is this. God, through a very unlikely circumstance, got Jonah into the place where He wanted them to be. Can I tell you something? For those of you that have a friend or family member that's wandering away from God and your heart's breaking for them, let me remind you, God has a way of getting that person where He wants them to be. God got this reluctant prophet on the very shores of the place He had commanded him to go through a storm and a bulimic whale. God has a way. When you pray for that person, and I hope you are, say, God, I know if you can get a reluctant prophet on a ship headed away, if you can get him turned around back to the place you want him to be, God, there's nothing you can't do. And allow this story not just to affect your life as we examine ourselves and say, God, am I going the right way? Because let me tell you, God has a call on every one of our lives. There's not one of us that is living a life or that has a life that is void of the calling of God. He wants us to be like His Son Jesus and to ignore that call is just as sinister as if we were going out and killing people. Sin is sin. 
And where are we at? Are we walking towards God's call, obedience? Are we walking towards Christ? Or are we trying to put as much ground between Him and I? Are we trying to get away from His presence? Are we trying to sleep? You see, He was sleeping, but that's not a sign of a good conscience. He was all the way down. Always down. Until God spit Him up. This morning, really simple. Really, really, really simple. Are you going towards Christ? Really simple. Are we going towards God? Are we drawing closer to God? Are we doing what God had called us to do? Are we living out His teachings? Are we looking more and more like His Son? Are we serving in His name? Are we moving towards God? Or are we moving away? in order to get to Nineveh. In order to get to Nineveh, Jonah had to walk. In order to get further away, he slept. It took no action on his part to move further from Nineveh. But to walk in obedience took one foot in front of the other. If you're not gaining ground, you're losing ground. This morning, what decision do you have to make? Do you not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you not look back on your life and say, I remember when I chose, I made a decision to give my life to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Are you in that place right now where this morning was a but the Lord? Maybe you don't want to be here. Maybe you didn't want to be here. Maybe you had absolutely no plans, but someone drug you here. Maybe you're here just because your spouse is here. And this morning in your heart, you can say, but the Lord. Maybe this morning it's those three words. And this is that spiritual marker. Rededication in your life. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I'm just out sailing. I'm floating. I'm not really living with direction and determination in the will of God. I'm just sailing around. It's time for us all to start living with determination and dedication. It's time for all of us to take one step in front of the other. Progress towards the will of God revealed to us. Maybe this morning, you know this morning that God has placed on your heart that this is the church He wants you to join and to partner with and to be a part of. Maybe that's what God has communicated to you this morning in the heart of you heart of your family, whatever that decision, salvation, baptism, rededication, church membership, whatever God has put on your heart this morning, will we rise to make our part to surrender to that call, to surrender to that decision? Serving God's not always easy. And surrendering to Him is always costly. Are we willing to give in to what God has placed? Father, I thank You that Jonah was reluctant, but Your sovereignty prevailed. And this morning, Lord, I have no idea what road, what direction each of these hearts is at. I don't know what crossroads, I don't know what direction, I don't know where they're at, but Lord, You do. And there's nowhere in the world we can go where we can hide from Your presence. You know where we are. You know how we got there. You know how long we've been there and you knew what we're doing the whole time. 
And God, you want us to be with you. They're lost here this morning. I pray during this invitation they would come forward. There are those, Lord, who need to rededicate their lives. I pray nothing would hinder them from leaving it at the altar. Baptism, God, I pray they'd surrender to that first step of obedience and church membership. God, I pray that they would be active in your church family here at this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand this morning. Let's arise.